This is the Answers from Leadership podcast, and I'm your host, Joseph Lalonde. Each episode, we bring you answers from the best and brightest in leadership. So sit back and get ready. Here comes Answers from Leadership. Today, I'm grateful to have Kent Sanders with us. Kent is an editor at the Good Men Project, professor at St. Louis Christian College, and author of The Artist Suitcase, 26 Essentials for the Creative Journey. He writes about art and creativity at Kent Sanders. Um, Kent, is there anything else you'd like the listeners to know about you? Well, Joe, first of all, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, be on your show. Uh, what else should listeners know? Uh, goodness, um, I'm married. I've been married for 19 years. have a son who's 11 who uh, loves Legos and Minecraft, and uh, we have a lot of fun with that. And that's pretty much it. I just I love creative people. I love leaders of all kinds. Uh, my background is in church ministry, so I've always had a heart for anyone who's involved in any kind of uh, Christian service or church service. But, um, you know, um, just glad to be here and uh, appreciate the opportunity to uh, share with your listeners. No, it's my pleasure. You mentioned that, you know, you love creativity. How do you define that creativity? Well, I look at it in a pretty broad fashion. You know, normally when you hear people talk about this topic of creativity, it tends to fall in two extremes. And I mean, the average person, I think, tends to think of creativity either in terms of, okay, only really, really super gifted people are creative who have this natural born talent for music or, or writing or, or whatever sort of typical creative arts thing that we think of. The other extreme, I think, is that we look at people who are, who are creative and we think those are kind of they're really eccentric people or really kind of strange people, you know, because artists typically, well, I'm not going to say typically, but many times we think of artists as being really kind of different or unique or they're kind of traveling their own path and that sort of thing. And, and I think all those things can be true, but I think creativity is much broader than that, honestly. I think it's much bigger than a certain kind of art or a certain skill set. What I think of creativity as is really doing what you were born to do. For instance, if you have um, a person who really enjoys doing auto mechanics and who's really gifted at that analysis that's involved in fixing an engine or repairing something or diagnosing a problem, that person's using their creative gifts whenever they're doing what they love to do. Or if you have, let's say, someone who loves to cook. You know, we all know the difference between someone who's good in the kitchen and somebody, somebody who is bad in the kitchen. That would be me. I can fix grilled cheese and spaghetti. That's basically it and toast, I think. But, you know, creativity is just doing what you love. It's doing what you were born to do. Because really the whole idea of being creative, you know, the idea behind that is creating something. And creating something means bringing it forth or, you know, creating or making something that wasn't there before, at least in that exact kind of way. So that's sort of how I look at the creative process. It's just bringing forth something. It's serving people through your giftedness. It's really doing what your passion is and doing what you feel like you were born to do, no matter if that's something in the creative arts as we think of it or something that's a little bit different than that. It doesn't really matter because when you're doing what you love to do, that's when you're being at your creative best, I believe. Yeah, I can totally see that. You know, I work in a manufacturing company, mm-hmm. and – we have these machines that our employees have created. They, they've you know, seen the idea in their mind and birthed it. There's that art of creativity right there. 
Oh, yeah, that's – I love that kind of stuff. In fact, I was – a couple of weeks ago, I was showing one of my classes a video I stumbled across on YouTube of – what was the – what was the part? I don't remember. It was a camshaft. Is that even a part of an engine? I think that, that sounds about Something. Okay, it's some kind of shaft in an engine. I'm showing my complete ignorance here automatics. But it was showing how the, this really intricate part for – I think it was for, tr- for uh, trucks or something – how it was machined out of this uh, obviously highly complex other machine. And it was all made out of this one giant block of steel, of stainless steel. And it was mesmerizing to watch this. It was like 15 minutes long. And I thought, man, some really creative people have designed this machine. I mean, I'm just mesmerized by how somebody could even think of, of what it takes to design that and make it all work and, and stuff. And Yeah, to me, that's, that's creativity at, at its best right there. Yeah, and we we fail to see it so many times. I think. Oh sure, sure we do. You know, with with creativity being all around us, why should leaders be creative? Well, I think it's important for leaders to do what they love and to be at their best, because that's what we're called to do as leaders. And let me back up a little bit and maybe express it this way. You know, again, looking at creativity as doing what you love to do, doing what your passion is, it's important that we're at our best, you know, that we are our best healthy selves when we're using our giftedness, whatever that giftedness is. Because when we're not, we can't really be innovative, we can't lead well, we're not healthy ourselves. And when you're not leading well, and when you're not a healthy person, you know, when you're just trying to give the appearance of being healthy and, and effective, but you're not really then that's when you crash and burn. And even just, you know, I guess to be really blunt, in in my own geographic area of St. Louis, um, over the past uh, year, I've seen two high-profile ministry leaders just sort of crash and burn. And I I know both of these guys personally. And I don't take any rejoice, you know, I don't rejoice in that at all or take any joy in that. In fact, it's heartbreaking. But I, I see the pressure of trying to have an appearance of success and trying to keep things going you know, the best you can, but then on the inside you have issues that you're dealing with and you're kind of a broken person, but you're not, you're not a healthy person. And that eventually is going to come crashing down. And when that happens, I mean, creativity goes totally out the window because you just crash and burn. And, you know, I think that creative process of renewing yourself and of being healthy, of feeding your mind, of being around people who are going to help you, of being accountable, you know, that process is really important to being a creative person. In other words, not just a person who plays music or writes songs, but a person who is actually creating, who is producing content, who's leading others, who's uh, contributing something to the world, whether that be in a factory or a church or a college or whatever it is. You know, we've got to be healthy, I think, to contribute in a positive way. So, again, that's how I kind of look at creativity. It's a little bit of a broader sense, I guess, than just the creative arts, but man, staying healthy, staying positive, that is such an important and vital part of this whole process. Right. Um, yeah, you mentioned, you know, you've seen two, you know, pretty high profile ministry leaders crash and burn recently. Yeah. Um, you know, why, why do you think we face this burnout with the creativity or, you know, with the lack of creativity and what gets in the way of that? Well, from my experience, being in a college setting, you know, being a part of the church world for a long time and, being a part of, kind of an educational system, 
what I see many times is that we we put a heavy emphasis on the products of creativity. For instance, you know, when you're in the church world, you've got to produce services, you've got to produce sermons, you've got to produce worship services. When you're in the education world, you've got to produce lessons, you've got to be creating all the time. You know, in any kind of a job, you're creating, you're making stuff, whether that's content or whether it's physical items or whatever it is. And so many times I think we put such a heavy emphasis on the creation aspect of it, on the end product, and we don't pay enough attention to the individual who's actually doing the creating. So in other words, we we sometimes ignore the health of the creator, which is you and I, but we put way too much emphasis on the end product. And to me, I think the reason why we get burned out and sometimes we crash and burn in life or in leadership is because we're not paying much attention to the part of us that is producing the product. You know, again, going back to that healthy self, we're tired, we're, we're stressed out all the time, we're too busy. Um, sometimes we're not clear of our direction and we sort of feel lost in life a little bit. I think a big part of it as well is that if you're in the online space where you're, you're trying to create content and that type of thing, sometimes we just have way too much information coming at us, you know, where we're just pounded daily by books and webinars and emails and it's just, and, you know, so much stuff coming at us that sometimes we just get clogged up, I think. At least I feel that way at times. So I think those are some reasons why sometimes we, we're not at our creative best and we do crash and burn and we have trouble maintaining, you know, creativity over the long haul. Yeah, I agree. You know, especially with the online world, you know, we get so many emails in our inbox. So I used to try to read blogs every day and, you know, read through all of them that I was subscribed right. to right now. I see, I have a backlog of about 3000, oh you know, it, you know, that just, you know, it freaks me out a little bit because I'm yeah. like, I'm missing out on all of this, you know, creativity that people are showing me and yeah. you know, how do I get to all of it? And, you know, you just feel that overload or overwhelmed. Oh, it is. In fact, about um, maybe it was six months ago, maybe even a year ago or so, I went through and I was subscribed to, gosh, probably three or 400 email lists. I know that sounds insane. Not all of those were like weekly email newsletters necessarily. It was just lists of this or that. And so I went through and I pruned about three quarters of all that. And so I'm probably still on too many email lists because I just, I'm interested in so many things, you know, and what I don't read right now, I'll put into Evernote or I'll save for later or whatever. But I will say, Joe, yours is one of the newsletters I still get. And I, and I know, I know every time that something comes from you, it's going to be worthwhile. There's going to be a nugget in there or something that makes me think or just something good, which I really appreciate. You know, I appreciate the craft you put into your content and, and how you, you are so consistent with it, which I find amazing. I wish I was as consistent with that as you are. But it's like you keep cranking it out, and it's it's there, baby. It's it's always there. Thank you. I appreciate to hear that I made the cut. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's good stuff. And, you know, we just talked about how, how our lives are busy and we get behind in emails. What can a busy leader do to stay creative? Well, this is something I have wrestled with uh, greatly over the last couple of years. I got to a point – and I'm 41 years old, so you know I've kind of I'm over the hill now, I guess, as they say. But I got to a point in my late 30s where I just began to feel very frustrated in my life. I wasn't making nearly enough progress as I thought I should be making. Either uh, I'm not going to say necessarily career-wise, but I mean, 
just in, in writing and, I guess, developing relationships, I just felt I wasn't where I needed to be. And a big part of that, once I really sat down and thought through it, was that I was just so busy. I was busy doing stuff all the time, but when I really sat down to look at it, I wasn't always doing things that contributed to my goals or things that were even healthy in terms of having margin in my life. So one thing that I did, and I think this is so important for us as leaders, you know, whether you're leading a home or a business or a ministry or whatever it is, we're all leading something. I think it is so important for us to sit down and ask the question, why am I so busy? Why do I feel busy all the time? And what is that impulse within us that always wants to say yes to people whenever they need something? You know, there's, I think there's an impulse where we like to, to make people happy. We don't want to disappoint people. We don't like conflict. So sometimes we'll do anything to avoid those, those situations where somebody might be upset with us or they might be disappointed in us on some level. And I have to sit down and really think through what is it in my own psyche that is causing this? And this probably sounds like almost like a counseling session. But really, that's to me, that's where it comes down to is what is this trigger within me that always has to plead? people, you know, maybe it's my personality, I don't know what it is, but once I kind of really dealt with that and switched my default answer from being yes then to no, then my life got a lot simpler, actually. I mean, I still consider myself to be a busy person, but I'm busy with what I think is a lot more of the right things these days than I was a couple years ago. So I think that's critical, is just sitting down and, and feeling, why am I burned out? Why am I so busy all the time? Why is my schedule packed? all the time. And that's something you have to just kind of really go inside and look at, I believe. So to me, it starts with with really taking control of your schedule because if you don't take control of it, somebody else will. You know, that's just how life tends to work. We have people who, who want a piece of us and who, who ask for our time and whatnot. But we have to decide, is this something I, I want to commit to or something I don't want to commit to? And And that whole process. And some seasons in life are busier than others. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, if you have small kids at home, that's another huge factor. Or if, you know, if you're married, that's, that's a factor right there. If you're a single adult, then you probably have more freedom as to how you're going to spend your time if you don't have kids or a spouse or, or whatnot. So, you know, we all have different situations in life. It's just, I think, honestly, looking at your life and what it is and thinking, okay, what's, what's possible? How can I make the most use of my time? How can I have some margin in my life? And to me, it's just a matter of, having the courage to think about that honestly and then, you know, sometimes being willing to disappoint people and to not be the hero all the time and to not be the man or the woman. Uh, but I think once you come to terms with that, life gets a lot simpler. Everybody wants to be people pleasers. Sure we do. You know, when we please everybody else, we're kind of left out in the cold. It is, it is. And, you know, it's not, I don't think it's always a clear-cut call because we want to serve people and we want to be helpful but there is there's a finite, you know, our time is finite. It, it has a limit to it. We can't do everything we want to do or help everyone that probably legitimately needs our help. So sometimes we, we have to make the tough calls, and sometimes we don't make the right calls. I know I don't always do it correctly, that's for sure. What do you do when you don't make the right call? Well, sometimes I pay a price for it, honestly. Um, I'll, give you a, I'll give you two good examples of... Mistakes that I've made the past uh, about year and a half, things uh, with time and action money. So, um, for instance, about a year ago, 
I was, for three or four months, I was actually working part-time at my church. So I'm part of a large church here in St. Louis, and uh, they have a campus in a neighboring town, and so I was the worship coordinator for that small campus, about 150 to 200 people. And they were paying me a little bit. It was like $100 a week or something. You know, it wasn't much. By the time you take taxes out of that, it's kind of like, you know, is this even worth it or whatnot? But I wanted to help them, and I love, I love this church dearly. And they needed somebody to just be the coordinator for the volunteers for a little while. So, so I agreed to do it even though I felt overwhelmed with school and writing and stuff like that. I agreed to do it, and really two or three weeks into it, I knew immediately I had made the wrong decision. And it was like, oh, my gosh, this is – and I should have known better because I come from the church world. So I should have known better that anything that involves that kind of role tends to grow you know, it's never going to decrease. It's probably always going to increase just because of the nature of what it is, which is fine. But I just, I didn't want to disappoint someone and they legitimately needed my help and, and ex- experience. But I was into it a short time and I thought, oh man, I really should have said no. I should have been firm because now it's really stressing me out a lot. And it wasn't the kind of thing that was just confined to one day. It was just this constant stream of texts and phone calls and scheduling and figuring out tech problems and all this kind of stuff. And I was in it for, for about three months. And then I, I just had to sit down with our campus pastor and be really honest and say, I can't, I just can't handle this anymore. But here's the cool thing that happened is when I stepped out of that role, immediately that made a space for then this younger guy in our congregation who was a really committed volunteer. It made space for him to then step into that role. And he did an incredible job. In fact, he did a lot better job than I did. I thought I was doing a decent job, but he took it to the next level. And in fact, him doing that very part-time job then led to him doing a much bigger role at our main campus. So it really reminded me that, you know, sometimes when we stay in those positions or roles or we hang on to that thing that is stressing us out, that commitment, whatever it is, sometimes when we have the courage to let go, that, that doesn't only benefit us, it also benefits somebody else because then they can step into that role and they can learn. So in many ways, it's kind of selfish sometimes to stay in commitments that we really don't want to do and that we really need to get out of. That, that sounds kind of harsh because I don't want to say we shouldn't be committed to something. But I think you know, if you're committed to something but you shouldn't have done it or you really need to not be committed to that thing, whatever it is. And I'm not talking about marriage, obviously. or you know, I'm not saying, hey, just I don't want to be in that marriage commitment or you know, this is just like – Roles and jobs and that kind of a thing. You know, I think if you are in something and you need to not be in that thing, you have to have absolute integrity with getting out of that thing. You know, you can't just drop the ball and say, I quit and move on. I mean, I guess you can, but in the ideal circumstance, you would help to train the new person and sort of pass the decision. Everything you can assist those people making a transition and do it the right way. Because the way that you leave a role is way more important than the way you start a role. You know, if you end it badly, they're always going to remember that, which is not cool. <laughs> right. Needless to say. Great example. I don't know if you know, but we, we re- recently left a position of leadership in our youth group. Oh, gotcha. I didn't know that. And, you know, we struggled with the fact that, hey, you know, if, if we're not there, who's going to be there for the kids? Right, right. And you know, the amazing thing was, you know, as we transitioned out, other people stepped up. Right, so, you right. Know, 
that that just hit home with me. You know, people are going to step up when you know if you overcommit or you're not supposed to be in that arena anymore. Mm-hmm. There will be somebody to step up and take on that role. Oh, I totally agree. And you know, honestly, where this comes where this comes down to for me is that for a long time, I I received all of my self identity. Uh, again, this kind of sounds like a counseling session, but maybe it all comes down to some of that somewhat. You know, for a long time, I identified so close with my job and my role as a leader that, you know, anytime someone would criticize me, I would take it really hard. And I was in worship ministry and, you know, music ministry in churches can be sometimes an area of a lot of criticism and, and conflict and that kind of stuff. And so I would take that really hard. And But whenever things were going well, I was on top of the world, you know. But it wasn't until probably in my later 30s when it just kind of dawned on me that that for so long I had been receiving my, you know, I'd connected my personal value and worth to positions. And once I began to see that wasn't a very healthy thing to do, then life just got so much simpler. And I began to see my roles as, well, they're, they're temporary roles, and I'm just a steward of that thing for a while. And, you know, God gives me something or, or I take a position for a while and I want to do a good job with it. But then when it's time to move on, then I can move on and it, and that doesn't mean I'm I'm I've lessened in value. It just means it's time to move on and hand that off to somebody else. When we receive our, our self worth so much from our positions and the success that other people give to us, that's really an unhealthy place to be because that fluctuates all the time and you know, sometimes we're emotional yo yos because we're we're like, Oh, my business or my job is going really well and so I'm happy, but if it's not going really well then I'm really, really unhappy and you know, I think you have to have some distance from those things. At least that's what I have loved the past few years. I can agree with that. You know, like I said, we broke away from the youth group and that church, and you know that was our identity, right? You know, and right you know, for the last, this is December right now. You know, we left there about February. You know, we've kind of been in this in between place of who am I? What am I supposed to do? Right. You know, where am I going? Right. So yeah. You know, it, it's very important to have your identity outside of your position and your, your it role. is, it is, yeah. That's that's really hard on us sometimes because, you know, maybe this sounds sexist, and I certainly don't mean it to be, but I know as a man, I have that tendency greatly. I've noticed that my wife doesn't have that same tendency. I don't know if it's a male female thing or whatever, but I do know that many men struggle with that, and we place, you know, our whole self worth. We place it on top of our, our jobs or our positions, you know, or our titles or our accomplishments. And, um, you know, that's that can be a hard thing to move away from that way of thinking about whether your life is successful or not, whether you're successful as a person and how you measure up, you know, in your own eyes. Yeah. It's, it's something society has taught us. I mean, the first thing when you meet somebody new, well, what do you do? Exactly. Exactly. We lock ourselves into the role position and role title and. Or, or oh yeah, identity. and especially if you're in a group of people who have a similar type of job, you you always want to know where you stand in comparison to them. You know, like uh, now I teach at a really small school, just a couple hundred students. I mean, which is really really super small. So when I'm in a group of other teachers, especially like Christian college teachers or who teach the same kind of things, it's easy for me to feel really inferior when I'm around them, if, especially if their programs are way bigger and more successful and more flashy and all that kind of stuff. But, but I think once you kind of divorce your identity from your 
your job, then then it doesn't bother you. It's like, well, I'm doing what I'm doing. You're doing what you're doing. And, you know, many times we see other people's success and we don't, we don't realize the heartache that's going on in their lives and the pain they're going through and the problems they have. We just see a tiny sliver of success. But we know all of our heartache and problems and troubles. So it's like, you know, that old saying of never compare your insides to somebody's outsides. I know that sounds juvenile, but I think it's really true, though. Yeah. What's something you're doing right now to be more creative personally? Uh, I'll start off by saying something that I'm not doing well because I definitely don't want it to – I don't want to come across as having it all together because that's, that's definitely not the truth. One thing that I, I'm having a hard time with consistently is exercise and eating right. I go through phases where I do really well with it. Then I go through phases where I'm not doing well with it. And right now, it's a busy season of my life. And um, I'm just not consistent with it. And I, I know if I was more consistent, that would help me in many, many ways. You know, have more energy and be more creative and be more focused and all that. So I'm just kind of saying up front, um, that's an area I, I struggle with quite a bit. Um, but a couple of things that I try to do to help me be more creative and healthy as a creator is uh, one is that I read a lot. I read pretty much every day. I take a book with me everywhere I go. So like this afternoon when I go to pick up my son from school, I'll be waiting in the parking lot for him for maybe 15 or 20 minutes. You know, I'll pull out a book and, and read some of that book instead of just playing on my phone or something else. Now, sometimes I do play on my phone or play words with friends or, or whatever. But I try to really take a book with me everywhere I go so that I always have something to do instead of just kind of passing the time with meaningless or trivial stuff. Um, something else that I do is I'm a part of a weekly mastermind group that's really, really helpful. It's actually just me and another guy who meet weekly right now. But um, yeah, we talk about our businesses. We talk about personal stuff and just kind of hold each other to the fire it's not really an accountability group per se, but there's probably an element of that involved in it. But we just we just kind of help each other stay sharp, and that's been super, super helpful. Um, something else that that I have done the past couple months, actually I've been, been doing this for a while, but it's ramping up, is I've been writing for a site called The Goodman Project for almost a year on and off. Um, I think I submitted my first article this past January. And so then began to write more consistently for them over the summer and then had the opportunity to go through some training and become an editor with them just a couple of months ago. And I mean, I tell you, that has been super challenging, but it's been really, really fun. And I feel like I'm constantly in over my head with that a little bit because I'm, I'm like, I sort of barely know what I'm doing, but I, I really love the process because I've met a lot of awesome people. And, you know, to be honest with you, just to, I guess, to be really honest, you know, career at a Christian college and in the church has basically been in, in what I call the Christian bubble. And, you know, a lot, any Christians will know what I'm talking about where you're just around Christian stuff all the time, Christian people, Christian books, Christian ideas, which is wonderful. But what I find really refreshing about the Goodman project is that it's outside that realm. And I really love the interaction with other people who don't necessarily share my same faith perspective. And, we may share very little perspectives you know, on, on pretty much anything, but that's totally okay because I've learned from them. And it's been an awesome opportunity to learn some writing and editing skills. And, man, it's just been, it's been wonderful, honestly. I've really, really enjoyed that. So 
I would just say if you have an opportunity to get involved in something that's outside of your normal bubble where you can add value and that'll help you achieve your goals, that's, that's a winner right there, definitely. You mentioned that you're, you're reading when you go to pick up your sign. What's one or two book recommendations you would recommend right now? Okay, let me recommend a couple. Uh, one is, uh, these are going to be, you're probably not going to hear anybody else recommend these because they're, they're kind of arcane. But I mention these because nobody else probably will mention these. Um, and it, uh, that's not at all that I'm all that or anything of that nature. It's just I want to give something a little bit obscure just for a different twist. Uh, one book that I'm reading right now that I really like is called The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell. And Joseph Campbell was a writer. Um, I think he's passed away. I'm pretty sure he passed away. He's, he, would be, he would be pretty old by now. But he was a writer who wrote a lot about uh, myths in humanity and in different cultures. And his ideas about the power of stories and myths were in many ways really part of the foundation of George Lucas when he came up with the Star Wars movies. And, uh, for instance, if you get on YouTube or Google or something and just do a search for George Lucas and Campbell, you'll come up with some interesting things because George Lucas will talk about the influence that Joseph Campbell's writings had on him when he was sort of creating this whole myth of Star Wars and, and whatnot. And anyway, this book called The Power of Myth is actually a series of transcribed interview sessions that he did with a guy named Bill Moyers back in the 1980s. Now, again, this sounds really arcane and obscure, but... Uh, just pick the book up. It's really fascinating. It just—it's blowing my mind with the ideas, and I feel like I'm reading this and going, "Man, why was I never taught this stuff?" It's just—it's completely engrossing. If you love movies, which I know you do, and or screenwriting or storytelling or fiction or or anything, it's really really engrossing. The other book that I would recommend is actually a reference book that is called the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. And this is probably close to 20 years old or so. It is a um, dictionary that goes through all of the imagery, metaphor, poetry, um, anything like that in the Bible. And it's something that I'm using for my personal devotion time, actually, which sounds strange. I mean, so I, you know, we'll read the Bible, but then I'll read a little bit out of this, usually. And I found it really interesting and uh, pretty informative, just because it's helping me to understand the incredible artistry of scripture and a lot of things that picked up in ever before. So, so yeah, um, those are a couple of things that I'm enjoying at the moment. All right. Kat, I want to thank you for being on the show today. Absolutely. Do you have any closing thoughts for the listeners today? You know, I would share one closing thought and that is that success is measured in inches, not in miles. And what I mean by that is, that it's really important to take daily consistent steps toward our goals and to not get discouraged when our progress isn't as fast as we think it should be. But just keep on keeping on. Do that daily that daily stuff that you need to do and just make consistent progress. And then before long, I think, you know, the success that we want. Great advice. Um, by the way, you had something you wanted to give to my listeners, correct? Yes, this is a um, just a PDF download of some ways to unlock your creative potential. And your listeners can go to kentsanders.net slash leadership answer. And there will be a free download there. I'm not going to make it an opt-in or anything like that because personally I get annoyed with that kind of stuff sometimes. You know, I'm like, just give me the document. Don't make me opt into something else. So that will just be there for your listeners and they can go download that. 
and uh, hopefully that'll give you some practical ways just to be more creative. Great. Thanks. I'm sure you know they'll they'll appreciate that download and get something out of it. Sure. Uh, once again, thanks, Kat, for being on the show. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity. My pleasure, Kat. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. And a special thanks to you, the listener, for tuning into today's podcast. I hope Kent's message will help you find your identity as a leader. If you would like to get the show notes for today's episode, you can head on over to jmlalone.com slash 009. There you will find more information about Kent, special quotes from this episode, and the answers to the questions in an easy-to-digest format. You will also find links to the show on Stitcher and iTunes. I would love it if you were to leave a rating and review for the show. Not only does it let me know how I'm doing, it also helps other leaders find the show. Until next time, continue to lead with excellence.